0: Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, CPS, and other court issues. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have two guests on. I have attorney Michelle McDonald and I have Mr. Michael Volpe on, and we are going to talk about the book. The Sandra grazzini Rucky and the World's Last Custody Trial, which was written by attorney Michelle McDonald and Michael Volpe. And I welcome you to the show, and I'm glad you both are here so we can learn how this all came about. How are you all?
1: I'm well, good. Thank you, Marianne. Uh, uh, thank you, Marianne. I'm doing great. And Michael, so nice to hear your voice.
2: Right. Yeah, Michelle and I have known each other for a long time.
1: Oh, have, I haven't good. talked to you in a while, so I'm really excited. It's been a
2: few, a, few month, a few months, but yeah.
1: We talk pretty regularly.
2: Right. <laughs> All right, so you wanted us to explain the book?
0: Most, yeah, most definitely. Um, how long did it take to write, you know, and to get together and to write this book?
2: Uh, it took probably a little bit less than a year, and it went through several different ideas. It actually started as like like several different stories from Michelle's professional life, uh, except the other ones, in my opinion, were more boring than this one, which actually is good for the people, because even though they were in a corrupt process, it wasn't quite to this extent. But um, And so... I, Michelle agreed to just make it because Sam, and this is what Sandra Ziniraki goes by. Her story is almost impossible to tell in anything but like very, very long and involved because there's so many different things that happened. Um, and so I think we started towards the end of 2015 and probably finished. I think it was October 2016 was when it was
1: published. Now, but um, how how it came about is I had. Heard Michael on a, a radio show, a show like yours, and he was talking about his book, Bullied to Death, the Chris <laughs> Mackney story. And I uh, I called him up. I said, how's that book coming along? I would like to be involved. So that's how I met Michael. And um, Michael actually wrote a book and I wrote the forward to it and helped with some editing, um, the Bully to Death, the Chris Mackney kafka-esque
2: divorce and right she and she remember did, that
1: michael i
2: called you out of the I, I do i do but uh she when michelle says she helped with some editing she's being very very uh she helped with a lot of editing so it wasn't just a little it wasn't like you know she took, took a look at a few pages she went through multiple drafts so uh that wasn't easy she was the editor um correct and then and then we came, it, like. I don't know how, how quickly after all of that was finished we came up with this idea, but uh, uh, sometime after that book was completed, we started working on this one.
1: Mm-hmm. This is kind of a trip down memory lane because I do remember uh, wanting to write another book with you and giving you some of the, these other horror stories that I have. The Chris Mackney story is a horror story and Bully to Death has several uh, stories in it, uh, aside from Chris Mackney's, which is the main story. And then, right. um, you became very focused on a case. It was, as it was happening. I mean, when we, we ended the book, Sandra gazzini Rocky and the world's last custody trial, it was, things were still going on. We had to stop writing at some point. And right. say, okay. Uh, uh, Well, we things,
2: to, right. We, we finished it after she went to jail um uh and she she wound up going to jail again for a little while to fi- to finish off the sentence because the way they wrote the sentence was ridiculous but yeah it was uh it's difficult to have an ending because it doesn't have a happy ending uh at least not yet but um yeah look sam and i became close and also there's there's just so much corruption in this story and it goes from the local like a Almost the entire Lakeville Police Department, Lakeville is where all this happened, is corrupt. Uh, mainly Kelly Coughlin, uh, she's on audio in an interview, uh, trying to like like manage where the interview goes, uh, all kinds of things that she did. The, 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 do, you, do you know that the, the chief of police over there told me I wasn't allowed to call them or do a FOIA request? They, they, it, just blatantly illegal things. Jeff Long is his name. But um, and all the way to the U.S. Marshals, the the U.S. Marshals came in with rifles to Sam's head on a bogus warrant, on a warrant that didn't exist. They claimed that she was being charged with child trafficking, kidnapping and something else. And she wasn't. And if she wasn't, then the U.S. Marshals shouldn't have been there. And so instead of figuring out who screwed them to put put the Marshals in on, on this woman on some like really low level, uh, warrant that nobody was actually asking her to be arrested on. Um, they continued the pursuit. They, like, they were, tra- not only were they tracking uh, Sam, but they, they after the fact, were, like, going to her employer and trying to get her fired and testifying at court hearings uh, on her bail. Uh, so all the way from the local cops to U.S. Marshals, everyone in between, uh, corrupt judges, very corrupt judges mm-hmm. and multiple. David Knudsen is the worst. He's the mm-hmm. one... Who made Michelle conduct part of the custody trial handcuffed to a wheelchair? In fact, Michelle, I think, is the only person to do a closing argument handcuffed to a wheelchair, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, Yes. You know, like like you hear about athletes, uh, you you know, Kobe shot a free throw with a torn Achilles tendon. Michelle did a closing argument strapped to a wheelchair. That's like impressive in its own way. Uh, so that was David Knutson who who made Michelle do that. And and one thing I should point out, um, though a lot has happened since the book came out that obviously is not in the book, we're extremely detailed about all of the moves that Judge Knutson made. So blow by blow about everything that this guy did, and, and then it's interspersed with David's violence because. You know, Judge Kanoutsos would rule in his favor one day, and then like four days later, he's committing some act of violence. And of course, he is, because you you give a guy like that license, and he feels like he can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, look, the story is that Sam and, and her kids, she's a battered woman. Her kids w- were victims of physical abuse, possibly sexual abuse. And when she tried to divorce David, he used the court to legally abuse her, and he is able to do it by a judge that I believe is absolutely on the take, though we didn't make that allegation uh, in the book. But if you read it, I don't know how else you can come to any other conclusion. Mm -hmm. I can't. I don't. But uh, so this guy jumps on the case and just starts ruling in David's favor in more and more obscene ways until you hit September 5, 2012. And we should note, Michelle doesn't enter the story herself until early January 2013. So at this point, she doesn't even know who Sandra Rossini-Ruckey is. But um, I guess the court was very frustrated that the kids weren't having a good relationship with dad and they were blaming mom. So uh, on September 5, the court holds not a hearing because it's a telephonic conference. In fact, that's what it says on the transcript. And it was a telephonic conference because the judge may have been in the courtroom, but everybody else was by phone. And it wasn't a hearing because at a hearing, you call a witness and you ask them questions. In this, it was more like four or five people on a sofa just going back and forth. And one interesting thing was neither of the parents were there. Their lawyers were. But you would think, and and this was a life-altering hearing, Mm -hmm. you would think at a life-altering hearing, you might want to have mom and dad at least, you know, participate or or, or be on the call. But no, Judge Knudsen thought, uh, why bother having mom and dad? So... He uh, issued a very unique order. There are orders that are in some ways similar to what he did, but it's very unique. He decided neither parent should have custody, that mom who had custody and was living in a house should move out forcefully by his coercion and that he should move in dad's sister, who the kids barely knew. And that's what he ordered on September 7, 2012. And he gave mom... He gave Sam three hours and he said, since your flight bag is owned by, I think it's Delta, who she, not Delta, whoever she was a flight attendant with, since they own it, you can keep that and whatever you put in it, but you can't take anything else with you. So she has no photos of her kids, nothing, no personal property. And since that moment, she has effectively been homeless because of the way that he has written orders. It makes it almost impossible for her to find any sort of steady housing And then after her conviction, she can't really get a job. So she's basically jobless and homeless. And yet, and this happened after the book came out in 2019, they ordered her to pay $230 per month in child support. And and even though an appeals court said, we agree you are jobless and homeless, they agreed. But they said that she was choosing to be, that she could make money. So they're going to pretend like she makes minimum wage. And that's how they came to $235 per month. So they uh, presumably were doing that so they could chase after her for child support. But um, David Ruckey got everything. And then I should note, after that September 7th order, what first happened was the kids, when they found out that mom was gone, they ran to a police station. Initially, four of the five were allowed to live with their aunt on their mother's side but they were eventually forced to live with their paternal aunt and they knew they were going to live with dad. The two oldest daughters ran, they were hidden. Uh, mom did help hide them though. Mom doesn't like the term hide. They weren't really hidden. Uh, Cause where they were, everyone knew who they were. That's mm-hmm. what they mean by they, they weren't hidden. Uh, they stayed on this horse ranch for abused children with Doug and Gina Dolan. They used their real names. They would go to like get their hair done. Everyone knew they were Samantha and Gianna. Everyone knew who, not only who they were, but who they were, meaning how they got there. No one called the police. Only Doug and Gina got uh, charged though. David sued a bunch of people. And I heard he got a lot of money, um, after the girls were found because uh, there's a court order. So David's obviously the victim that these girls were hiding from him and people were allowing it. And, uh, At the trial, what the judge did was made sure that any evidence of abuse never made it in the trial. And Michelle can talk about this because she was at uh, the hearing this day. There was uh, a voicemail that David left with six gunshots. And this was right after David threatened to kill the entire family, which was mom and five kids. Mm One five to six. And so Michelle, explain what happened with the introduction of the gunshots and how the, the judge ruled on that.
1: Well, suddenly there were technical difficulties in the entire courtroom. Uh, so we were all had to leave while the technical difficulties were, and this was the criminal trial. She was, um, her her behavior was being criminalized. And in Minnesota, we have um, uh, a, a criminal statute um, that, um, I'm, I'm even forgetting the name of it now, uh, that, Um, you know, if you're keeping children away from the custodial parent, well, uh, David Brecke wasn't the custodial parent uh, Mm -hmm. uh, throughout all of this because that draconian order that um, Michael talked about that happened after a phone call on September 5th applied to both of them. So Mm -hmm. neither of them could have any contact with their children, even through third parties. uh, And, uh, Anyway, yes, there were technical difficulties, and as I recall, even though um, one of her family law attorneys had actually um, um, had the uh, had testimony uh, of the gunshots and the video and everything else, basically, they could only be called, um, what was it, audible sounds. They couldn't be called gunshots, even though there were <laughs> clearly gunshots and there was mm-hmm. some um uh pretended confusion about whose phone it was and uh it was just actually absurd and ridiculous uh that um it couldn't just be presented the way actually it was. right
2: look it was it was clearly gunshots and also i the local fox affiliate when they did a story on it which is on, on my youtube but I. Uh, mm-hmm. They called them gunshots, and they played not all six, but the clearly gunshots. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, there was no confusion; they traced it back. It, it was his phone calling Sammy, uh, the daughter, the 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 oldest daughter, uh, Sammy. Uh, there, there's no confusion, and and this is how they were trying to hide evidence of abuse because obviously, if dad is threatening to kill the family, that's a reason to protect the girls, even if a court order says they have to live with dad. Um, And yeah, look, the crime, the so-called crime she was convicted of, I think there's maybe a handful of states that have this crime. Most of the time, it's a civil violation. It would never be a civil violation. Maybe it would be, but the fact that the girls were there willingly is very, very important. And it's something that, like, either the people who believe they or who are championing David Ruckey, which at this point is this guy, Michael Broadcourt, they either overlook or pretend like no, they were abducted. No, they weren't abducted. They ran. Uh, They were forced to go live at its Ireland place. They were forced to go live there. Uh, They they were taken there, escorted by Lakeville police. Uh, They were tricked into Uh, winding up at Ireland Place because their aunts, their maternal aunts said we're going for pizza and then she made a stop and that stop was at a police station and before they knew it they were in in an interrogation room where they were told you're going to go live in Ireland Place with your other aunt and then your dad will come live with you. Thirty minutes after the cops left they ran. They ran. They were not abducted. Uh, they stayed willingly and they ran because their father is very, very abusive. He puts a gun to his kid's head, chokes one of the kids, ran his hands up uh, Sammy's leg. This is what she described. Held it there right next to her private parts. He's a great guy, wonderful dad. Uh, and the father's rights movement still protects this guy to some degree. Uh, they certainly have not uh, gone back on their support. And that, uh, and one of the reasons why I don't like them. Uh, they supported this guy. They are a, a reason why a lot of people still believe that she was a scorned woman and not a victim of domestic violence. Uh, the total scum. Uh, they 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 would rather promote a father because they are fathers than promote the truth. That's the fathers' rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so that's basically what happened. And as a result, she's homeless and jobless. He's made a lot of money. Kids are forced to live in abuse. Uh, Michelle, Michelle spent 24 hours in jail, uncharged. They charged her later, the charges went away. That was the same day when she was forced to uh, conduct part of the custody trial, handcuffed to a wheelchair. Um, all, all kinds of stuff happened. It, it, all kinds of stuff happened in this case. Sam has been extradited twice from Florida to Minnesota, twice. All right, well, most people don't face one extradition. She has been extradited twice.
1: So Michael and, and Marianne, uh, we talk about this case as because it is such a notorious case. It's been on uh, 2020. It's, it's if you Google uh, Grazzini Rocky, you will get numerous articles about the case, numerous podcasts about the case. You'll get uh, news stories and everything else. Um, so we always talk about it because we know it so intimately uh, from different perspectives. Michael as an investigative reporter who has come to know the case very, very well, and also know Sandra and myself as her attorney, um, uh, and right. uh, um, fighting so for the I- right.
2: Right. I, I developed all kinds of context. So uh, in the, after, after the book came out, and I, I, there's no way I could even know that I could ever get a document like this. But I was able to, they, they appointed a guy, Jim Gilbertson, and Sammy made an audio recording. Uh, and in the audio recording, she described how this guy, Gilbertson, uh, number one, made her and the other children go to a court hearing and during a break would rub her shoulders, Sammy, that is, when she was 14 and got sexually aroused. So this guy was appointed on the recommendation of another guy, Paul Reitman, and um, he foolishly sent his therapist notes to a contact, to a third party, who and, and I eventually got those. And in those therapist notes, they effectively admit to uh, conspiracy to force those kids to live in an abusive situation because they are, are talking about that April 19th order, which was when they, the, the girls were forced to go live with Tammy, the the paternal aunt. Uh, that's when they ran 30 minutes later. They were talking about that order that wouldn't come until April 19th, as early as April 9th, according to his therapist notes that I'm sure he never thought would be released. Um So uh, there's so much to this story, so much corruption. And that guy has gotten away with it. No one did anything to him. They obviously didn't charge him. And even though those therapist notes exonerate Sam from any responsibility because they show that that everyone knew that this was a dangerous situation and they forced it on the kids anyway. Her conviction hasn't been reversed. You talk to the governor's office, it doesn't matter. Let me tell you, here's a great story about just how corrupt – uh, this case is I once did a, uh, a story about Ilhan Omar and uh, she was saying something and I, and, and she wanted the governor's office to act. And I knew that the governor's office couldn't act because they didn't have that jurisdiction. I thought that was an interesting story because she should have known that. And that, in the governor's office, and it was uh, the, the, the liberal, the, uh, the guy that used to be in Congress, the the Muslim, I can't remember the guy's name. I, I got a statement from like staff that, that was his, like, from him. And so that, that's how like reasonable and accommodating they were, even though they knew the story was going to make Ilhan Omar look bad. I asked him about Rocky, and never get a response. Uh, that's not a coincidence, you know, like, like no one wants to talk about it. They all know that from top to bottom, there's massive corruption and no one wants to deal with it. Yeah,
1: it's a massive car- Cover up. So for those of your listeners that don't know the story, there's two aspects to this story. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the family uh, court story uh, that I was involved in. Uh, and then there's also uh, following the, the, the family court uh, conclusion, if you could call it ever concluded, there is the uh, criminal uh, defense aspects. Um, I, w- I, w- I was also her criminal uh, defense attorney for a time when she was being extradited from Florida. But this is, this is truly just the story of a mom mm-hmm. uh, who was a part-time airline stewardess married to uh, David Ruckey. They had five small children and uh, what uh, ended up happening was they had a stipulated divorce so uh, the mom had an attorney there was a stipulation for a divorce where the mom would get custody Uh, the uh, mom would um, get I think the main home those kinds of things Mm -hmm. there'd be some child support some uh, uh, spousal support as you normally uh, might have in a stipulated situation. And uh, um, that, that was that, um, until at one point uh, the, uh, uh, there was an uh, attorney that decided to assist David in reopening the divorce um, a couple of months later and uh that's that's what ended up happening uh the divorce was reopened and the way they reopened divorces here in minnesota they'll still keep you divorced so your your determination of the marriage is there mm-hmm. but all other issues become up for grabs mm-hmm. and that's when sandra um was uh defending herself i guess you'd say she uh paid hundreds of of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars to attorneys uh before she became and even the attorney that represented her in that telephone let me let me
0: yeah paid an eighty thousand
1: dollar eighty thousand dollar fee because yes the family had resources and they had money and um when i first met sandra um, as as many of you know, I had a a calling to uh, abolish. that means end. Some people don't know what that means. family court. Mm-hmm. uh stop the culture of uh, families litigating each other and, and suing each other in court. And um I'd have through family innocence uh, a nonprofit that I have these first of the month events. so, uh, Michael had mentioned there was a draconian order. I got that word from Michael that happened on September 7th, two days after this telephone call uh, where Sandra and her ex-husband was uh, could not have any contact with their children, even through third parties. And Sandra, this was a, a new twist on custody. Uh, Sandra owned the home. Uh, her five children were with her she had lived in the home for 14 years all of the property just imagine 14 years of collection of all this stuff your paperwork your computers you have your five kids it was the first week of school the children went to different schools and she her attorney calls her up and says this order is coming down the pike and you have to leave your home and somebody else is going to move in and take care of your kids. So instead of, you know, removing the children from a custodial parent, they remove the parent from the scene and uh, bring in somebody who, you know, is a relative, but she doesn't own the home. Sandra owns the home. <laughs> right. She doesn't, right. Um, you know, she doesn't have any,
2: like later.
1: horrific and in two hours and then that that's the way it's been since
2: right a month after that order came down he gave the home to david uh, so you know it was one of a uh, series of proponia orders and the other I begged, thing is i think- beg
1: to differ here's what happened with that i'm just going to tell you that the legalese that occurred so what what ended up happening is i meet sandra at one of um the family innocence events and she comes to me she was actually with um that attorney dale nathan and we we're having kind of an event it's a car carbonis we have music uh and she comes with dale and she's scared as can be uh she's meeting me she's thinking i know about the case i guess where where we had it held she wanted to know if i knew that i didn't know anything about her anything about the case and that was on january 1st 2013. i did agree for a small fee because she was telling me about this case to take on a constitutional challenge because what she told me happened to her had to be unconstitutional, had to be against any type of, um, of uh, rights that we have, uh, fundamentally. And so I did take that on, and when I did that, I filed um, uh, all kinds of paperwork. I went down to the courthouse, uh, looked at the file, because that was the best way to get it, because, you know, she was kicked out of her house, so mm. all of her files and everything were there. Her former attorney had withdrawn from the case that she had paid $80,000 for for that phone call. I mean, what kind of an attorney is that? And we ended up, uh, when I filed that, I I, I counted about 3,600 orders. I mean, what is that, (laughs) right, Uh, at the time? Hmm. And we uh, how I counted the orders was you might have, she might have had about 45 that say orders on them but you've probably seen this many many times it'll say order on the top on the caption but then it'll have several paragraphs with (laughs) do this and do that and don't forget to do this and you got to do this by a date and it was just um uh uh you know, horrific that she, nobody could follow, you know, you follow one order, the next one.
2: Right. He once ordered Sam to leave the state and another time ordered her to stay in the state of Minnesota. He, he gave her both of those orders. The, the orders would be contradictory. He wouldn't remember many of the orders that he gave. Uh, many of them were oral, but he said oral or not, they are orders. Um, as I said, look, if he wasn't bought off, he was certainly acting like it. Uh, there's no explanation for anything that he did, except that someone paid him money under the table to do everything that he did. Uh, so, um, yeah, he was a completely out of control judge. His favorite line is, this is my playground. You'll do as I want. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I can't say any more about him
1: michael taught me the word "Kafkaesque." you know any move you make you know is the wrong yeah. move <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we put that in uh, michael's book uh, bully to death but that's mm-hmm. that's where she was at she couldn't make make any moves and so when i filed the constitutional challenge i did something a little unusual i was going to be her constitutional attorney and she was still going to continue to do her case on her own. So when I filed my certificate of representation, I said, as to the constitutional challenge. And to Michael's point with the House, after Mm -hmm. I I researched it, I saw what had happened. After I filed my constitutional challenge, Lisa Elliott filed what's called a summary proceeding relating to the home. And in Minnesota, what happens is if there's a, a... it has to be a clear order that one party's getting the home or the other. Uh, you, you, you file just a really quick document that the judge signs that says, you know, um, this is what the order says and they both were represented by attorneys which at the time Lisa Elliott filed this they won't and that the home will be in David's home. So he got titled to the home in that manner. That's how he got titled to the home. Nobody gave him a deed uh, none of the normal things that happened. And so when I did the, the constitutional challenge, I was really, really focused. And we, uh, uh, uh we went in for our hearing. It was the first time I was in the courtroom. Um, I had had, um, some, uh, uh, dealings with, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm in the court, I was in the courtroom, I'm in the courtroom a lot. And I was really, taken aback by all the people that were in the courtroom that day. Anyway, made my argument and uh, uh, Judge Knudsen denied the constitutional challenge. And when I appealed it to the appellate court here, and as you know, I've run for uh, statewide for Supreme Court justice because the appellate courts are not doing their job. The appellate court said about that draconian order that it was only temporary. So we're just gonna deny your your appeal. Uh, so imagine that this is a temporary order that effectively removes a mother from her children, her father, the father from the children and her home and all of her belongings in three hours. And she, it still was in effect. And so that was the, there was nothing I could do to, to, to resolve this problem. So ultimately, again, Sandra's um, representing herself, but I'm in court with her doing these constitutional challenges. Ultimately the judge schedules a trial on September 11th uh, in 2013. And uh, the judge kind of, you know almost it's like uh basically says are you going to be her attorney and uh, i'm saying yes and prior to that trial i developed a team a legal team and we actually because this was just such an outrageous outrageous uh situation we uh did uh one of the very first uh federal class action civil rights family liberties lawsuits um, and it was Sandra Grazini Ruckey and her five children against David Conincen in his individual capacity and several DOEs. And the DOEs knew who they were because I had served um, color of law notices on everyone, including the judge. And what what a color of law not notice in its purest form is uh, saying that you are. It's kind of like you know when the the Nazis would say, well, this is just my job. You know, I have to shoot somebody because somebody up there told me to shoot somebody. It's like that. It's, it's uh, color of law where I'm just doing my job as a judge. I'm just doing my job as an attorney. Who, attorneys also are operating under color of law because they are uh, officers of the court, right? Just like a police officer is mm-hmm. a, an officer. So in any event, um, that's what I did. Um, and we did uh, file the lawsuit and serve it on September 11th, which was the first day of the world's last custody trial, which Sandra's um, case had been scheduled for. Um, so uh, we call it the world's last custody trial because by then two of the children had, she had not seen her, her children um, or that custody order had been in effect for over a year uh, that um, draconian order as we call it and uh, we uh, we we had a, a a two day trial and and it was the second day when I took a picture um, I, the reason I took a picture was because the first day we had Sandra's testimony she was the only witness i firmly believe that the only two witnesses in a custody trial are really the parents, right? They're the ones that are raising the children. Uh, and they're there on, a, on a, a daily basis. So we had Sandra testify. And uh, uh, Sandra, who was following the court registry very clearly after that first day, uh, pointed out to me that the next day was canceled. And even though the judge had told us to come back the next day uh, on the registry, and it's still there, it says that day two, September 12th is canceled, but we showed up anyway. Mm -hmm. And the second day we showed up, it was very, very different atmosphere. Uh, Sandra was actually on the way in. Um, They made her uh, strip down all the way to her sports bra. Um, so I took a picture of that. Um, I took a picture of, I, I went up to the clerk and I said, because uh, back then <laughs> you did, we did have a, a big screen where uh, the cases come, but back then you still have the hand typed um, uh, registry. And I just went to the clerk and she gave it to me. And I saw that Sandra's case was on for day two. And I said, can I take a picture of this? And the clerk said, um, then Sandra started saying, "Well, why don't we take a picture of the clock because you know it's not on time? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we really something different was going on that day. And when I got into the courtroom, it was again uh, David Ruckey's turn and his attorney to. We had uh, closed out our case that day. We did still have, if we wanted to, a a rebuttal." Um, and uh, we were, were planning on that, and I was in the middle of cross-examining the guardian, so I was about 10 I was in the middle of cross-examining guardian. I had taken a picture, and I was taking a picture with a real camera, but for some, I had a camera, and the deputies came. I took one picture in the courtroom, and nobody, the judge was not on the bench. I I taking pictures before a court I knew you know you're not you know it's not a record of the court that I'm making Mm -hmm. uh uh, like I heard somebody say you can play foosball in court while the judge isn't on the bench this Mm -hmm. you're not creating a record Mm -hmm. and uh the deputies came and they took my camera and my cell phone um and I was probably okay with that I mean I didn't think I said okay you know here you go and uh at about 10ish, um, I was cross-examining the Guardian because because she the, the the Guardian's report came about on a Friday, and I think it was court ordered on a Monday. <laughs> That's how fast it happened. And the uh, on on that Friday, I, I was I was looking for a, a, a calendar so I could show the different dates. that It was a Friday and a Monday. So the court said, well, let's do our morning break so that Michelle can go get her exhibit or her calendar or whatever she needs. And I thought, you know, that's nice of him. And <laughs> so, sort of, and he got up and he left the bench. And that's when three deputies came, came at me and actually uh, took me away out of the courtroom and back to the holding cell and, uh, back there I was saying what's going on they were asking me my name I said you know my name uh, and uh, ultimately I started to cry I started to mm. call for my husband I said I and and uh, I'm so sorry they said, that's basically said that's it and they actually stripped me down uh, took off my uh, earrings my hairpiece, all of my jewelry, including my wedding rings, necklaces, um, my shoes. Um, they took a belt and put it around my waist and handcuffed me to the belt. And then they put me in the cell. And in the meantime, I'm in kind of a state of shock. Mm-hmm. and the deputies come back they come back with a wheelchair they sit me in the wheelchair uh, I under, understood I was kind of tied to the wheelchair I, I and and they actually brought me out um, uh, to sit in the courtroom uh, here I am the attorney in handcuffs c- totally debilitated and I get to the, the council table And I don't, there's none of my paperwork is there. There's no pen, there's no paper, I'm handcuffed anyway. All of my files are gone, my clients gone. And the courtroom had been pretty much cleared out. And the, uh, well, it was cleared out because it was canceled on the roster. The day before, it was a very full packed courtroom. And that day, um, it was pretty sparse, so. Um, the judge Knudsen came back on the bench and said something must have happened during the break and I remember saying something like uh, he said can you call your client and I said they took my phone I uh what's going on and and then he said well he he cited some rule and said we're gonna have it anyway (laughs) so uh yeah that's um exactly what happened and um i proceeded to continue to cross-examine the guardian in that situation i i might have stopped cross-examining the guardian i'm not you know there's a transcript i don't know that the transcript is accurate at all the way they do transcripts in dakota county at the time and i don't think they've changed their tune is they still every other county here probably records it you have a recording of a transcript in hennepin mm-hmm. county in dakota county they still do that ticker tape thing so mm-hmm. and then they type it out i mean it's just ridiculous so that's how hmm. they were doing things at that time so i can't trust the record
2: mm-hmm. and that was uh, september 11th and 12th of 2013 right. and as michelle pointed out april 19th was when the girls ran so this guy Knutson held a custody trial with only three of the five kids. Uh, it doesn't matter where you give custody of the two girls, they were missing anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was insistent on moving forward with this custody trial, even though all of his shenanigans caused two of the five kids to run. And who gets blamed? Sandra Grazini, Uh It's absolutely remarkable, including in the press, most of the press, uh, primarily this guy Broad Corp. 2020, I think we got time to talk about 2020. 2020 reached out to to Sam and to Michelle. Well, to Michelle, Sam was in jail at that point. This will be her story. They presented it like they were gonna tell the truth. Uh, they were given mountains of evidence of abuse. They ignored it all. Uh, they used like like tricks by, by saying, well, we wanted police reports from during the marriage. Uh, no domestic violence victim, not no, but almost none, would ever call the cops during the marriage. Uh, and then they ignored everything else, including po- other police reports, CPS reports, like the one of David sticking a gun to his then eight-year-old son's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that because they said we wanted this and they didn't have that, they used that as a reason to not present any of the other evidence, presented him as like the poor father and made it seem like he, he was the victim of parental alienation. And she got what she deserved. They, they th- this, uh, First of all, here's how scummy 2020 is. They called it Footprints in the Snow because they they said the girls ran and they left only Footprints in the Snow. Well, it was April 19th, 2013. Even in Minnesota, there was no snow. So they just made up a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Um, uh, and what else was I going to say about them? And, uh, and then they they asked to come to Michelle's place uh, because they, they wanted to do like B-roll or like extra filming and they presented it as one way. And then when it was cut, they made it seem like we came and asked for all of this evidence of abuse and there was none there. Uh, So they, they misled all throughout. Uh, And one other point I'll make the, there were two producers, uh, Sean Dooley and Beth Mullen and the host of the show, was Elizabeth Vargas, and the, the president of ABC at the time was Shannon Dungey. I emailed four of those people relentlessly. Only one is left at ABC, Sean Dewey. I don't know if it had anything to do with me. Uh, but I, I relentlessly emailed those four people, and only one is left. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I the remember there was quit. a lot. There was, I think, hundreds of protests thousands, to the thousands. thousands. Wrote to yeah, thousands. people. And
2: Elizabeth people Vargas is gone too. Right, Varga, Vargas. Right, the host is gone. Vargas left. She presumably it's a a move up for her to now do cults on A and E because that's what she's doing from 2020, or she left for other reasons. She left like four days after I emailed her and everybody else evidence that David Ruckey was committing mortgage fraud, which I found out after the book was out. Um, this guy somehow, after he regained control of the house, it got foreclosed on six times. Six times, mm-hmm. and he still owns it. One time he bought it back, even though it was foreclosed on him. Somehow he's on both ends. Uh, so one of he was on something called Minnesota Cares, which is a program for for low income people. Even though he lives in a half million dollar mansion, uh, he he's gotten all sorts of uh, public aid in the past. Uh, And one other thing, his daughter Gianna is on the University of Alabama rowing team. That girl never rode a day in her life until she got to Alabama. And I don't think that's a club sport. I've asked uh, the athletic department. I think that's a Lori Laughlin situation, but either way that girl uh, never worked, uh, never rode a day in her life until she got to Alabama. And now she's on their rowing team.
1: That half-million-dollar house is where Sandra was living.
2: Right, uh, but they forced her out It was
1: oh, it was disheveled, and it was, you know, whatever they, that, they lied about. That, uh, probably mm-hmm. messy like the house you could see behind me, if you could see. were <laughs> you know, here and there. So, yeah, it was very engineered in a certain way.
0: Mm-hmm. Was, wasn't wasn't yeah. there a part where there was a, another house and they made her pay 233,000 or may, or had her pay him 233,000
1: for part I don't know. That's the same house she she told me that she actually was required to pay off the mortgage and she did mm-hmm. um and sometimes when you pay off a mortgage you 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 don't file the satisfaction against the house so that's how it works i mean she paid it and and then the records might not have showed that she did so it's a very very yeah you you have that's part of the story as well
0: now i was wondering because if there's like new information do you think you might come out with a book too
1: (laughs) oh yeah
2: Yeah, maybe maybe Maybe. there's there's i know we thought about it
1: yeah we thought about it because um uh, there's there's still so much to the story, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, right? there, uh, this, there was a know, lot.
2: There was a lot that happened after we wrote the book. Uh, though, as I said, I we we definitely tracked the the criminal case very well, uh, and the family court case, and we gave uh, a lot of like background and and inside information on how the 2020 episode came about. Um, oh, I remember the other thing uh, that 2020 did was when they came out, uh, Sham had a million dollars cash bond. They came out the first time and then they come out the second time. And in, in a, a part that obviously didn't air, they said, we don't know what you're doing here, but we looked into it. And this bail is too high and all of that. Uh, when they aired it, all they said was she has a million dollars cash. So they made it seem like she's a master criminal when they looked into it and they knew that, it, that she's being fed up. That's how scummy 2020 is. And of Berges and her, and her producers, uh, Beth Mullen and Sean Dooley.
1: I have a little story about that. So she was being extradited and I was in touch with Catherine Kina, uh by email uh, throughout the whole time because Sandra, Sandra was very afraid. Uh, and mm-hmm. things did happen while she was you know basically in a
2: very very very, two two. very very bad thing very bad things. things
1: and not uh, only
2: bad but the crimes committed against her are a hundred just on that car ride are a hundred times bad as the crime that they convicted of of that uh Tina and the rest of her corrupt crew could care less about
1: so listed on the uh um, so I was watching the Register of Actions at this point and listed on the Register of Actions was a hearing and I had been in touch with Kina. of course she doesn't tell me this, uh, hearing at, uh, I think it was at 11 a.m. Uh, before Judge Knutson on her criminal bail hearing. And I just, that's another thing, I was flabbergasted. Uh, by the time I showed up at this hearing, Uh, the hearing had already taken place. I showed up at 11, but apparently they pushed her through at an earlier time. And uh, Judge Knudsen did remove himself and um, a Judge McDonald um, actually pushed her through. She had no attorney at that hearing. And that's where they scheduled the million dollar bail. So she had: right. no- And
2: judge, judge McDonald is Erica McDonald, and until the new administration of Joe Biden took over, she was the U.S. attorney for the state of Minnesota. That corrupt piece of crap judge was made the federal prosecutor for the entire state of Minnesota, until it works over there. You do that kind of corruption, and you're moved up. And I, and I know that's not the only time that Erica McDonald was involved in corruption. Uh, but she was rewarded by being the top prosecutor. The state of Minnesota has one U.S. attorney. It was her for a while.
1: So then uh, that was, oh, and then when I went to the hearing, mm-hmm. they said, oh, you need to file your certificate of representation. I said, I'm already, I, I've been in touch with the all this, this piece of paper. doesn't matter. When you are a criminal defense attorney, you show mm-hmm. up uh -hmm. you are the criminal defense attorney and that's what they had me do and i had i went down to the clerk and did it in order to uh i had to to get the transcript that judge mcdonald had over the weekend i had to um schedule another hearing on monday and that was with judge ashbon she plays a role way down the road but we actually had a, almost a day-long hearing where Sandra was there. I got all the information about, you know, she had no criminal record whatsoever, zero criminal record. She at this point she had no arrearages and child support or any of that stuff, uh, and in, and had another hearing uh, that that took almost all day between going to see Sandra and uh the bail got reduced to seven hundred and fifty thousand and ultimately what happened is she was released because they kept her in for so long that um Steve Grigsby uh just did a said, you gotta release her now. You know, you can't have somebody in jail for this long on bail. So uh she just got right. released without any bail. Like they were- no
2: bail. Right. They they played games with it. And then uh, even though the crime was supposed to be presumed probation, Karen Asfog, same judge, who was on not just Sam's case, but uh, all of the defendants in this so-called crime who each had their own uh, tri- separate trials. And uh, this is the woman who set up who um, – when, when David Ruckey got in trouble in 2009, when he was swearing uncontrollably at two and three-year-old, she made that case go away. Uh, very corrupt judge. She once gave a 50-year, 5-0, year 5 zero, 50 year protective order, which bars another woman, D.D. Uvold, from mentioning David Ruckey's name anywhere. Five it ends in 2069. That's how uh, corrupt Karen Asfog is. Um, I, I remember I lost my train of thought, uh, but, But the the judge is extremely corrupt.
1: Yeah, there's something about the fact, and I heard um, a, uh, a, he's a judge now. Um, I'm not going to remember his name, but in Ferguson, remember that whole uh, fiasco, Mm -hmm. Ferguson? Right, Uh, right. uh, He was talking about that case, and he did a PowerPoint and everything else, because he was one of the Uh, investigators there, what have you. But um, in that case, the courthouse was next to the jail, was next to uh, where you file paperwork for your real estate, was next to administration, just the city administration. And it was like this compound. And that's what you find in, in Hastings, Minnesota. And after 30 years, 40 years of existence, everybody just kind of knows what's going on. It's like they're all working and um, that's that's what he pointed out was corrupt in, in the Ferguson where the judges were just emailing things and they were, you know, and uh, giving people fines, but not everyone, those kinds of things. And that is that's case Minnesota, Dakota County, right. Maine Courthouse is right next to the jail where, where they took me, and I had been there with clients before to interview or, or, or what have you, is right next to the um, uh, 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 city administration, is right next to, you know, the courthouse is there, and, and you go file your uh, paperwork for real estate there and all of that. So that that is a, uh, isn't this too much of a blur,
2: I remembered what I was going to say. So the the sentence that the Karen Aspog gave Sam, so this is supposed to be a crime that's presumed probation, especially if you have no criminal record. Not only did she give her the maximum, but she said, and and Sam at that point, even at the maximum, there's only a couple of months left because she made her sit in jail for four months or, or whatever it was in the beginning. You have to serve the rest. 15 days at a time on the anniversary that your girls were found and she berated her. Uh, and this is where the, the father's rights movement stepped in. Uh, somebody made a, a YouTube video of it and they've been sharing that thing for years uh, because they're big on parental alienation like you are. Uh, so they think a woman got stuck uh, and got what she deserved. And so they've been helping to smear sam by sharing video of Karen Ashfog the same woman who in 2000 it was by then it was 2010 made David Ruckey's uh, other criminal matter go away a, a, absolutely a corrupt judge berating a woman and they think it's swell mm-hmm. uh and so she gave her this bogus sentence and the only time that that i think anything that anyone's done to sam was overturned eventually that sentence was made to be cruel and unusual punishment. And they had her re-sentence, Sam. Uh, and that's what led to the second extradition. Because um, instead of saying, okay, fine, now it's time served. Uh, she said, well, then fine. Uh, first of all, it took Karen Asfog, I think like five months to actually execute the sentence from the time that the appeals court said you had a cruel and unusual punishment sentence to her actually sentencing her. But she Uh, Sam was at that point in Florida. She would not let Sam finish the sentence in Florida. She had her extradited. By the time they got back to Minnesota, there was like three or four weeks left. Uh, Instead of just letting her finish the sentence or just telling her the sentence is over, she made her go back to Minnesota and finish the sentence there. Uh, Karen Asfuck, who would later then give David Ruckey a 55-0 year protective order against DDU. She's like his personal judge. David Ruckey has personal judges. Uh, who are probably on his payroll, um, and she uh, eventually retired. She's now a retired judge, which is what all judges want to be anyway. Mm-hmm.
1: There was, There's something, too, about, uh, first of all, jail. This is law school stuff, uh, but uh, there's three reasons to put somebody in jail. One is punishment. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Mm -hmm. second is rehabilitation which doesn't happen in nationally in our jails as as you might know uh, america jails more people than any other country Mm -hmm. and the third is you are such a devious harmful uh horrible you're gonna get out there and really harm people that we need to keep you in jail so those are the three reasons to keep you in jail what what they do right now is they'll um sentence you and then it's kind of a favor this is what they did to sandra as a favor they're going to say well we're going to give you a year and she had already served most of it but we're going to put you on probation and probation is kind of like you're in jail but you're kind of still out there Mm -hmm. and the uh, uh that's what they did they said and and but you're going to have to come back i mean who can get a job Oh, sorry. I have to come back, go back to Minnesota and serve in fifteen for fifteen days. Um, oh, next year. Oh, sorry. I got to come back to. It, w- it would drag on. So, what? Um, that was the cruel and unusual punishment part. And so she came back, extradited a second time, as Michael says, and just served like what two months, and she was done. And when you are done, I let. This is an education. When you are done with your jail time, there's no probation. You are done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's right. not right. on probation. She was done. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. They were desperate to keep her on probation, too. Uh, yes. And they were trying to figure out ways to, to violate and all kinds of... And when I say they, I actually mean mostly Brian or Brian, Michael Broadcorp calling all around Uh, He, you know, he chases her, he does everything, and he's like, he's like David Ruckey's personal um, propagandist, and he, this is what he, in fact, uh, Michelle had a, they retaliate against everyone. Michelle had her license threatened because there was a $50 dispute with one client. Uh, She said something about Judge Knudsen that they deemed inappropriate, and she filed a lawsuit that they Thought may be frivolous um, and so Broadcorp was because the lawsuit was against Broadcorp but he was testifying and he said his job is to follow this case. I don't know how you can make money following the case naturally the only way you can make money is if someone pays you and the only one who benefits from any anything and everything that Michael Broadcorp writes is, is David Rocky uh, and he lives in a big house so he seems to be making a lot of money someone is paying it he didn't make it on his book. That website has absolutely zero advertising. Someone's paying him to do this. There's only one person who benefits. Look, this guy goes to every single court hearing. He one time admitted that he reads everything I write about the case, listens to every show, like he'll listen to this show uh, that I do or that others do. Who does that obsessively unless someone is paying you? So David Ruckey basically paid off a propagandist to write propaganda on his behalf. Uh, he's probably bought off a whole bunch of judges, perhaps, who knows how many. Uh, and that's how he accomplished this. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're coming and, upon and, the... And 20... Go ahead.
1: I was Go just ahead. going to say, we're coming upon the hour, mary so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Any? Do you have any other questions or final comments?
0: Well, this has just been very fascinating um, that, you know, where are these girls now? Um, are they? Well, Gianna is at the University of Alabama. I
2: don't know where Samantha is at, uh, but Gianna is enjoying life at the University of Alabama as a rower.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and
2: by the way, uh, on her rowing website, she lists her mom as Sam Grisini. I don't know how many of you even know your mom's maiden name, but that's how she lists her mom. But, but it's an improvement. In 2019, she didn't even list that she has a mom. So at least now, at least now, Gianna acknowledges she has a mother. Uh, though somehow she says Sam Grisini. That's what she says is her mom's name. Uh, her mom's nickname, though everyone does call her Mom Sam, and her mom's maiden name. That's how she refers to her mom.
1: And all of the and children uh, the kids, have aged out at this point. I think at the time of that, there's
2: one, one, me. one kid who's under 18. None of them have seen their mom. Uh, even though David Rucki said in 2020 he was going to make sure that the kids would have a relationship with mom, he failed in that, uh, mm-hmm. I guess. Or, or maybe he was just giving lip service to 2020. Uh, they did, by the way, 2020 missed that. They didn't ask him later on, well, so how is the relationship between mom and the kids? In fact, Sean Dooley was surprised that mom hadn't seen the kids. He thought that everything would be worked out uh, after he did a hatchet job on, on him. Uh, he thought it would work out. After he hid evidence of abuse, turned the victim into the perpetrator, he actually was surprised that Sam had still not seen her kids. That kind, that's the kind of scumbag uh, Sean Dooley is. Uh, that's uh, the only producer from 2020 who still left at 2020 uh, of the four mm-hmm. who I emailed pretty relentlessly. Um, uh, he's the only one. He was surprised that the family had not repaired itself after he did a hatchet job on their store. He was surprised by that.
1: And we all know the real news is shows like yours, Marianne, because,
2: <laughs> right. At uh, least you
1: on the know, unedited, we get to speak. To, right. To right. Right. Yeah, that's what's
2: Right. That's, mm-hmm. Right. By the way, Sean Dooley, uh, I emailed him originally right after the show came out. He gave me an 800-word response. He's never responded to any other email after that. You don't, you know, you look really bad when you respond with 800 words and then pretend like the person never emails you again. That doesn't look good. So, you know, that's how he is. That that response is still online somewhere.
1: That's um, a, I think a lot of the corruption. Uh, Mary and Mike, is the non-responsiveness. I mean, right. I've seen it in right. court where the, the, yeah. you'll, you'll be making an argument, the other side won't even argue back, they'll be non-responsive, and then the judge will just kind of do what the judge wants to do, because they're,
2: mm-hmm. there so aren't any non-responsiveness real Non-responsiveness
1: is a huge um, uh, indicator that something isn't exactly right. Even if you respond mm-hmm. uh, somehow,
0: yeah, like uh, with a motion to compel, right. then they f- maybe finally will do something once you file the motion to compel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, well I'm glad are we I wrapping had to, up? Sure. I was going to say, I uh, do you see foresee book two coming out at some point? Because um, be we'll, interesting. We'll we'll, we'll I would see.
1: like to. I think my my goal is. Um, the books were published by familycourt.com. We're putting together a website for familycourt.com so we can market these books and actually um, let people know about family innocence, the, the restorative circle mediation side and the legal side uh, mm-hmm. rather than kind of a mix. So um, my my goal is to get this book out there first mm-hmm. because uh, we haven't... Um, Uh, Michael tell you this you know we give it away we haven't really marketed it to the extent that it needs to be marketed Um, Mm -hmm. and and now we are
2: now on Mary on Marianne's show so (laughs) so we we are are yeah
1: we because of you Marianne we are marketing
0: our book I'll do anything to help
1: leave yeah thank you so, okay, uh, I'll have you guys back
0: on again in the future. Slam the gavels, the podcast, to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms and criminal courtrooms. And I'm your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future for another exciting episode with you two. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Marianne.
2: All right, that was good. When is Thanks. it coming out?
0: It'll be out today.